I hope you all had a great Memorial Day weekend. It's great for our family. We were able to catch some more time with the kids. And so last Sunday night, we went on a, on a walk with them, and we were going around the lake at a park here in Lafayette. And, and I told you, I'm like, hey, pause, let me get a picture with you and the kids. So here's that, those beautiful kiddos. <laughs> but I told Shelly, uh, come look at this picture. Our son has outgrown you. <laughs> you are officially passed up. <laughs> oh man, they grow fast, I'll tell you what. And so we just love every moment we get to have with them. But I would imagine if you look at the faces of those kids, it wouldn't be hard for you to figure out who their parents are. In fact, Lucas, he just looks like exactly what Nate did at that age. We just apparently make one kind of boy. I don't, I don't know how that works out. <laughs> uh, man, but yeah, but you know what? Even more than they're made in our image, they're made in God's image. And all of us in this room are. It's an extraordinary thing that we have been made in the image of God. We should never take that lightly. We sometimes don't think enough of ourselves in terms of understanding, God, I've been made in your image. And so part of that conviction should be, well, then let me reflect you well. But then we also should move that outside these walls as we go to shop at Walmart or Meijer or Aldi, wherever we go. And, and when we check out to understand this clerk has been made in the image of God. Do we look at the people in our community through that lens? Because they're all made in his image, but all uniquely created and all important to the kingdom of God. God has a heart for them. And, and my ongoing prayer is, oh Lord, and help us have a heart for everyone in our community too. Because as we look at our community, we'd have to say that some individuals are better at reflecting the image of God than, than others. But yet we're all called to reflect it well. And so then the question is, how do we best reflect the image of God? How do we do it? And as we continue our series in Luke, we come across a passage that gives us some pointers. It helps us understand how can we best reflect God's image? Because we should do that and we should do it well. And then we should also help others reflect his image well. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you've got God's word. We want you in God's word every day. If you're new to Connection Point Church, we say that because we want you daily in God's word. Don't just show up on Sunday for your weekly dose. You need a daily dose. Maybe double daily dose. It'd be good for you to be in God's word. But if you don't have a Bible with you today, there's one underneath the chair in front of you. But I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Just out of respect to say, God, thank you so much for giving your word to us to show us the way. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 20, picking up from where we left off last week. And we're going to start in verse 19. It says, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him that very hour. So if you weren't here last week, Jesus shares this parable about the, the temple leadership. They're not happy with him. They want to lay hands on him and not for prayer. <laughs> but what happens? It says, for they were perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said. So as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher. We know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things 
that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we left off in Luke last week talking about our ability to receive Jesus and his mission. We discovered that our possessions, our position, and our pride or our self-reliance, it can actually keep us from receiving Jesus and stepping into the life that he has for us. So then the question is, well, what's the antidote? How can we make sure that our possessions, our position, and our, our pride Our self-reliance doesn't get in the way of receiving Jesus and and all that he has for our lives. And it turns out the antidote is to live on mission for Jesus. If you leverage your life for the lost, then your possessions become leverage that you can use to reach the lost. Your position becomes something you leverage to reach the lost, to advance God's kingdom. And you realize as you try to reach the lost, you live on mission for Jesus, you can't be self-reliant. When you're on mission for Jesus, you quickly realize you are not enough. And so you need God to help you. So living on mission is the antidote. And what does it look like to live on mission? You seek and save the lost. We've got 150,000 lost people in the greater Lafayette area. It's too many. And so we need to figure out how can we live on mission for you here, Jesus? How can we leverage our lives to, to reach the lost? Because in so doing, then we receive Jesus. And we need to receive him. And all of those 150,000, they're all made in God's image. But the question is, what are we doing to try to help them reflect his image well? Well, we first have to start with us. We first need to reflect God's image in a really good way, which can inspire others to do the same. They'll start asking questions. And so from our passage this morning, the, the first thing we find in how we do that is that we can best reflect the image of God. By loving the Lordship of Jesus. We can best reflect the image of God by loving the Lordship of Jesus. The scribes and the chief priests, they were not happy with Jesus. They did not like that he spoke a parable against him. Our passage today tells us they wanted to lay hands on him, but because they feared the crowds, they they couldn't. So instead what they do is they try to find a way to get Jesus to say something that they could report to the Roman authorities to get Jesus in trouble. So the question is, well, why did the scribes and the chief priests, why did they not like Jesus? Why were they so upset with the Son of God? And here's why. Because the scribes and the chief priests, they'd made a life for themselves. They did not want Jesus messing up. The scribes and the chief priests, the reason they were so upset with Jesus is they made a life for themselves. And they didn't want Jesus coming in and messing it up. So they weren't happy with him. Psalm 2, it's a great description of this kind of response to Jesus. It says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Guess who the anointed is? Jesus, the Messiah. So our natural response to Jesus is to say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Our fallen nature does not love the lordship of Jesus. And because the scribes and chief priests, because they rejected the lordship of Jesus, they did not want his rulership, they did not reflect the image of God very well. They were not kind. They were not concerned with the welfare of others. They 
They were not concerned with being used so that God could change people's lives. But I, I think we should be honest with ourselves this morning. It is hard to let Jesus be Lord of our lives. It is hard. I think that's why Paul says, I die daily. It's a daily requirement. Every morning I've got to say, Lord, I surrender to you fresh today. Because it's hard to let Jesus be Lord sometimes. We like to be the ruler of our own lives, the master of our own fates. But for us to reflect the image of God well, we must allow Jesus to be Lord of our lives. We must love his lordship in our lives. You see, we're to be living invitations to the people of earth, living demonstrations of how good it is to be under the rule of a good king. And why is it good to love the lordship of Jesus? Because Jesus is a good king. What does Jesus, our good king, do? He protects us. He does. He provides for us. He advocates for us. He grants us eternal life. Jesus is a good king. But do you know him that way? Somehow we think that we know better than Jesus, our creator, how we should live our lives. I'm here to tell you this morning, there is no negative, no negative response, no no negative benefits in allowing Jesus to be Lord of our lives. There's none. But we still struggle to love the Lordship of Jesus. And it actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Take a look at Genesis chapter 3. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. We have struggled with the rule of God in our lives from the very beginning. We think God is keeping something from us. We've been struggling with the fear of missing out for a long time. But guess what? God is good, and he desires good things for your life. I wonder at what point we'll be convinced of that. God can be trusted And he knows what's best for us. But faith is required to live that kind of life. And I do think we need to consider what happens if we don't allow Jesus to be Lord. What happens is is we wind up doing what the scribes and the chief priests did. And what did they do? Our text says they pretended to be sincere. I don't know about you, but I have occasionally met people who pretended to be sincere in their love of the Lord but it was pretense. Why? Because they just could not allow the Lord to be Lord of their lives. And what will the scribes and chief priests, what do they eventually do? Because the the scribes and chief priests, they did not want Jesus to be Lord, what did they do? They falsely accuse him and they send Jesus to the cross. They kill Jesus. And so if we're not careful, if we don't allow Jesus to be Lord, eventually we kill his ability to change and transform us. We don't want those results. 
When we do not love the lordship of Jesus, we miss out on the extraordinary life he's offered us. We need to love the lordship of Jesus. Do you love him? Or have you made a life for yourself that you really don't want Jesus to mess with? Have you made plans that if God changed him, you'd get really upset? I've said it many times, but to be a follower of Jesus is to live open-handedly, to say, Jesus, it's all yours. I trust you. And if I could encourage you, the more Shelley and I try to live like this, the better it is, because Jesus knows best. He always does. And to best reflect the image of God, we have to love his lordship. But we also find that we best reflect the image of God by becoming living sacrifices. We best reflect the image of God by becoming living sacrifices. So when Jesus makes the comment, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, he's referring to an incident that occurred between the temple leadership and Pilate. So as Jesus shares these parables, oftentimes he was uh, putting within them modern day events. Josephus, a first century uh, Jewish historian, he records an event during Pilate's tenure as prefect, it caused an, an uprising of a mob in Jerusalem. So here's what Josephus writes. After these events, so Pilate had done some things, he provoked a different kind of upheaval by exhausting the sacred treasure, known as the Carbonus, for the construction of an aqueduct, which brought water from the distance of 400 stadia. Expressing indignation at this action, the crowd surrounded the tribunal platform of Pilate when he was in Jerusalem, and they kept yelling at him. Having anticipated the disturbance, He'd mix his armed soldiers among the crowd, disguised in civilian clothes, with orders not to attack with their swords, but to beat the rioters with clubs. Then he gave the prearranged signal from the tribunal platform. Many Jews who were beaten perished from the blows which they received, but many others from being trampled by their own people in the ensuing flight. Terror-stricken on account of the calamity of those who were killed, the crowd became silent. So what we have recorded here is Pilate took money from the temple and used it to build an aqueduct. And the money that Pilate took, the carbonus it's labeled as, was actually meant for sacrificial offering. So Pilate stole from the sacrificial offering and he used it to build an aqueduct and Jews were upset. And let me ask you, who do we think gave Pilate access to the temple treasury? Who do you think? The temple leadership. Who is Jesus speaking to right now? Who did he share that parable with? The temple leadership. So he's telling the temple leadership, look, you need to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And by the way, everyone knows you let Pilate take from the sacrificial offering, but temple leadership, you're supposed to give to God what is God's. We are meant to give sacrifices to God. Do we give animal sacrifices today? No. Anybody could say, praise Jesus. Worst class, and you know what? I'm going to say this and I'm going to apologize. Worst class in high school, biology. Only because you got to dissect things. Now, some people love it, but I'm sorry. The smell of formaldehyde could knock me out. Woo! So, praise Jesus. We're not giving animal sacrifices anymore. I am glad that Jesus was the last sacrifice. But at the same time, our lives are meant to be a sacrifice to the Lord. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our lives, the way that we live, is meant to be a sacrifice to the Lord. And the question is, have we allowed Pilate access to the temple treasury? Have we allowed the world in which we live to come into our lives and take that which was meant to be for God? Have we allowed our culture to come in and rob us of the life that we're meant to be living for God? Have we allowed culture to dictate the way that we live? Have we allowed the world to define our values? Have we allowed the enemy to rob us of the future we're meant to have in God? The way that we avoid this is by presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, by not conforming to the world's standards is what Paul writes. But Jesus actually takes this imagery further. He doesn't just infer that we're meant to live a life of sacrifice. He says, show me a Daenerys. So there's a picture of one. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? The word likeness here, it's better translated as image. So what Jesus is asking is, whose image does this coin bear? Well, it bears the image of Caesar. Then it belongs to him, Jesus says. But now the question is, what or who bears the image of God? Because the image of Caesar belongs to Caesar, and the image of God belongs to God. Let's read from Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were made in the image of God. So who belongs to God? We do. That which is the image of Caesar, give to Caesar. That which is the image of God, give to God. We are to give God ourselves. We are to love the lordship of Jesus. We are to present ourselves as living sacrifices to him. The best reflection of the image of God is us becoming living sacrifice, then we bear his image well. But there is a problem with living sacrifices. They like to crawl off the altar. They like to do it every day. It's hard to fully surrender our lives to Jesus. But at the same time, when we only partially surrender, then we're missing out on what God really has for us. It's hard to love the Lordship of Jesus, but no one said following Jesus would be easy. He simply said it would be worth it. And he said, I would be with you. And I don't know how to convey that Jesus is worth following. He is worth fully surrendering to. So then the question is, well, what does this look like? What does it look like to fully surrender our lives to King Jesus? So I want to give you a few examples this morning. The difference between partially surrendered and fully surrendered. Partially surrendered people, they live like the world. While fully surrendered believers, they live like Jesus. Partially surrendered people, they're focused on their values, interests, worries, fears, priorities, and lifestyles. While fully surrendered believers, they're just focused on Jesus. Partially surrendered people, they go to church. While fully surrendered believers, they are the church. Partially surrendered people, they're involved in the mission of Jesus. While fully surrendered people, they are committed to it, no matter what. Partially surrendered people, they cheer from the sidelines 
While fully surrendered believers, they're in the game. Partially surrendered people, they hear the word of God. While fully surrendered believers, they obey it. Partially surrendered people, they follow the rules. While fully surrendered believers, they follow Jesus. Partially surrendered people, they're all about believing. While fully surrendered believers are all about being. Partially surrendered people, they're comfortable. While fully surrendered believers, they make sacrifices. Partially surrendered people, they talk. While fully surrendered believers, they make more disciples. So I would say, don't be a partially surrendered Christian. Be a fully surrendered follower of Jesus. Give God what is God's. Give him your whole life, and as you do, you will step into the extraordinary life he offers you. You cannot step into an extraordinary life as a partially surrendered believer. You just can't. Jesus is worth it all. And you will best reflect the image of God by becoming a living sacrifice. But we then also best reflect his image by helping other people become living sacrifices. So as we reflect his image, people can ask questions and we can help them reflect his image too. The parable right before this passage is about a nobleman who owned a vineyard. The nobleman sent some workers and his only son to collect the fruit of the vineyard. And we talked about the fruit of that vineyard, but the fruit of this vineyard, the church. What is meant to be the fruit of this vineyard? Who remembers? Souls, the lost becoming found, people becoming disciples and followers of Jesus. That's meant to be the fruit of this vineyard. And as we see that fruit happen, then we're helping to give God back to what is God's because we're meant to glorify the Lord with our lives. How are we doing? What we need to remember is that since every human bears the image of God, each person in this world, they have intrinsic value. Even the Jewish sages, they recognize this. Reading from a a document from the Sanhedrin from the first century, here's what they write. But a single man was created in the world. Who was that man? Not a trick question. Adam. Adam was created to teach us that if any man has caused a single soul to perish, scripture imputes it to him as though he's caused a whole world to perish. So what he's saying is that one man was the result of all these other men and women. And so if even one perishes it is though we all perish but on the flip side if even one is saved it is though we have saved the whole world and this is why all of heaven rejoices when one comes home do we look at the value of one life like that here's what they said for man stamps many coins with the one seal and they are like one another when we stamp coins they all look the same but the king of kings the holy one blessed be he has stamped every man with the seal of the first man, yet not one of them is like his fellow. Therefore, everyone must say, for my sake was the world created. What he's saying is coins may look the same and we might bear the image of God, but we are all different and individual because everyone is incredibly important in the kingdom of God. Do we look at the people in our community that way? We best reflect the image of God by helping other people become living sacrifices. I'm going to ask Shelly to come, and we've been talking a lot about uh, reaching the lost, and that's a part of this point here. Uh, We were able to get to a conference yesterday to talk more about that, Uh, so I'm just going to have her share a little bit on the image. You want me to give that? 
I tell him what to do all the time. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I tell him what to do all the time. She does. It's true. (laughs) It's not true. (laughs) (laughs) She was telling me. So a statistic I must have shared first service I didn't hear. So they, they run through, you know, before you can get to solutions, you first have to identify the problem. So part of the heart that the Lord is giving us to say, oh, Lord, help us reach the 150,000 in our community. They share the statistic, and I shared last week, that every week 96 churches close their door. That's a lot of churches every week that are closing their doors. The, the church is in decline, but God desires to build his church, so then we need to figure out, Lord, kind of our, our, our mantra is, if we're praying for 150,000, but the model we're in won't reach it, guess what's wrong? It's not the prayer. It's the way we're going about it. So Lord, help us figure it out. Because part of the other issue, a statistic they shared yesterday, is every week, 53,000 people decide not to return to church the next week. Every week, 53,000. That today, people across this nation, a family will go out to the parking lot, they will get in the car and drive away. One couple will say to their spouse, you know what, I'd be okay if we didn't go back next week. The spouse will say, you know what, I feel the same. And that'll be the last day they go to a church building on a Sunday. So how many know we've got a problem and we need to see, we need to fix it. Because what that means is we have not done a great job of introducing people to the real Jesus. Because Jesus is attractive and his lordship is wonderful. But we need to arrive at a better place of helping people experience Jesus for who he is and then help them find God's purpose for their life. We need to match that up in better and better ways. Is that what you wanted me to share? All right. Yes, thank you. You did great. All right, thank you. <laughs> no, um, well, I would, I've just been in this kind of mode of reflection and feeling like when we first came here um, from the mission field, I really had this strong sense that if we were coming home, then the Lord needed to send 10 in our place. And that's just kind of my attitude on things, I guess. But anyway, just really wanted to make sure we were a strong missions church. And I feel like we are. We are a strong missions church. We care about the lost everywhere. Not just to maybe the places we've personally experienced or... I want to interrupt you. I know. (laughs) But I want to tell you, I haven't shared this at all. And actually, I haven't shared this with you. So I got an email. So we're a part of the Assemblies of God. And we, uh, I got an email from the missions department in, in uh, Springfield, Missouri, and they let us know that we are now in the top 100 mission-giving churches in the U.S. It's amazing. I'm sorry, but that's good news to share. Go sit down. That's better. That's even better. So we, we, it's official, right? We have, we're part of a statistic that we're a missions-giving church. And I love that because we, you were a strong missions church when we arrived. But now I feel like we've made sure we care about the lost everywhere. And we've got this wall in the, you know, down the hallway that just really affirms that there's a lot of lost people. And we need to care about all of them, no matter where they're from. Uh, but... Now, I feel like the Lord is really helping us to shift and care a lot more about the lost right here in our area. And for there to be 150,000 people lost right here in our small little town, that means that the lost people look a lot like us. They don't look like something else. It's not going to be easily defined as like who the lost are. Uh, It's your friends. It's your family. It's your neighbors. It's all of these people. And so we, we have to care about the lost. 
And I feel like we need to make that shift together. And so my, my honest confession is, I feel like I have both a strength and a weakness where if I, if I see a problem or I see a goal, I wanna run and just, I wanna do it. And so that's, that's good, but I also feel like sometimes I just know I can do it faster alone. And that's not what the Lord brought us here to do. We have to do it together. And so I'm trying to tell myself in the going, it's the bringing and it's doing it together and it's locking arms together so that we can actually do this well and, and in a God honoring way. And so I've been thinking a lot about the image of God and being image bearers everywhere we go. And I feel like we've had this, this strong shift in the church of doing like the friendship evangelism, of being friends with people and living a lifestyle that's God honoring and maybe kind of holding off on that proclamation because sometimes our words can be offensive. And you know, you don't wanna like be off-putting to somebody, but yet proclamation is necessary. And so I feel like I, I want us to be encouraged that now more than ever, we really have to live a life. If you, if you have to live the lifestyle, so like you're in a job and you can't necessarily just like pull out your Bible and give a gospel presentation, then live a life that is undeniably for Christ. That there is, there's no doubt in someone else's um, observation of you. And so then what does that look like? It looks like, your lunch table is full of people. You're talking about your life. You're, you're sharing something that maybe the Lord showed you that morning in your abiding time because we're all abiding in the morning, right? We're asking God to give us a fresh word, a fresh touch, uh, something to talk about, a filling up so that we can be poured out. Maybe you give generously, so generously that the people around you would ask you about it. So a lifestyle that is just absolutely undeniable that you belong to Jesus. And when they ask you about your life, proclaim Jesus. Give a strong presentation of who Jesus is and why you are an image bearer of Christ. And maybe that's a small shift in your life, but I think it's a shift that we all need to make in order to reach the people around us, that we can't just be okay with people being lost and people not knowing Jesus. I can't be okay with a statistic of 53,000 people just deciding they're just never gonna come back to church because we just weren't made to do this alone. There's, we don't have individual heavens carved out for us. We're a community here, we'll be a community there. And so we have to do it together. And I'm committed to that. And I'm, I'm anxious for people to lock arms with us and for all of us to have that great sense that God is calling us to do something. We are a healthy church. When you go to these conferences and you read these books and you hear about these churches that are closing, you know, it makes me sad, but I'm glad too because we're not there. We are a healthy church and we have new people coming and people are experiencing God, but I don't wanna take that for granted and I don't wanna think that's always gonna be the case. So I wanna listen now and I wanna make shifts now so that we remain a healthy, thriving church 
that is living a lifestyle that is God-honoring, that we bear God's image and we, we proclaim his great name. Thanks, Shell. Shelly and I are, are committed to figuring it out. I mean, we've shared a couple of times. We haven't figured it out, and we're okay with that because we really think God wants us to all figure this out together. And, and the be- wonderful thing is we're connected with wonderful people locally uh, in the city, across the state, across this country, and around the world that will help us figure out how do we get back to reaching the lost. Uh, the, the other statistic that was shared, and I shared it a bit last week, is that less than 1% of churches are reaching the, the secular lost, those with a secular worldview. And that's why the church is in decline, because we stopped doing what we were made to do, which is to seek and save the lost, which is the work of the Lord. So let us get back to that. So the question is, well, then who are we helping to become a living sacrifice of God? Do you have somebody in your life that you're helping that way? What friend, family member, neighbor, or coworker are you being kind to, being present with, praying for, or talking with Jesus about? If we are loving the Lordship of Jesus, fully surrendering our lives to him, we will have a heart to tell others about who Jesus is and the difference that he can make in our lives. And let me say this first. Jesus wants to make a difference in your life. It's hard to be a witness of that which you've not experienced. So this is why the the challenge is, is that you do not remain a partially surrendered Christian because it's the partially surrendered Christians who become the 53,000 that walk out the church because they have not seen the difference that Jesus can make in their lives. So my encouragement to you is press in and receive Jesus for all that he is. His lordship is wonderful if you allow him. We best reflect the image of God by fully surrendering our lives to the lordship of Jesus. That's how we are the best reflection of God. We're meant to be living sacrifices so that others might live. Dick Brogdon in his daily Live Dead devotional this, this last week, these are some of the words that he wrote and he shared that applies to our message today. That those who share the desire that others may live, even if that means painful consequences for themselves, they are the ones who have understood God's generous missionary heart. Those who are possessive, those who want life on their terms, those who will not sacrifice that others may live, they share the stingy spirit of the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There really are only two kinds of Christians in the world. Those who wisely share the generous heart of God with the result that all men and all nations are blessed, even at cost, and those who are unwilling to endure pain and grief for the saving of life. A partially surrendered life, it is not an extraordinary life. A fully surrendered life helps others who bear the image of God better reflect the one whose image we bear. So let's reflect the image of God well by loving the Lordship of Jesus and becoming a living sacrifice so that others might live. I'd like to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as we close this morning, I want to give that invitation that maybe you have made a decision to follow Jesus, but you really have only partially surrendered your life to him. That in going through that list, you might identify more with the partially surrendered than the fully surrendered believer. But today you would say, I want to become a fully surrendered follower of Jesus so that I might experience all that he has. Hold nothing back from him and he will hold nothing back from you. May you release things today. That maybe you're here today and and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, but today you'd say, I wanna surrender. So 
the call is twofold today. You'd say, I've never surrendered, but I want to surrender. I've been partially surrendered, but I want to surrender everything. No matter where you find yourself this morning, with every head bowed in this room, if you would say, I, I just want to surrender my life today. No matter what that looks like, I've, I've not surrendered, I've been partially surrendered, but today I'm going to turn it all over to him and I'm going to seal that in song today. Anybody that would like to raise their hand and I could pray with you before we leave, I just want to pray with you that you would have the strength and steadfastness to fully surrender. Anybody today that would say, that's me, I've been partially surrendered, I, I've never surrendered, but I want to surrender today. Over here in the back, anybody else that would say, I want to surrender. I want to fully surrender today, holding nothing back. Over here on the right, anybody else that would say, I want to surrender to Jesus like that. In the back, Jesus, I just pray for those hands that are being raised. Father, I just pray that as we close in song this morning, that we would fully surrender our lives to you, hold nothing back. Lord, that you might come in, that we might receive you fully, completely. Lord, that you would make a difference in the lives of everyone in this room, that they might have a a testimony, a witness. Lord, that they might be people of proclamation of of the goodness of God. So Lord, I pray that you touch people here in in this space, in this room, that they might continue to put deeper and deeper trust in you to fully surrender their lives to you. May they hold nothing back. And Lord, we just pray these things thanking you, Jesus, for the example that we have. We thank you for the stories that you share to say, oh Lord, we need to render to God the things that are God. Oh Lord, may we render our lives to you because we were made in your image. May we be those living sacrifices, Jesus. May we say yes to you over and over again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.